So, uh, Hugh, as you know, this show is always better when um, we drink, right? Right. Um, so uh, I've decided to partake tonight in a little bit of alcohol. Uh, what I'm drinking right now is an Aperol Spritzer. The fuck is that? You don't know what Aperol is? I do not. What kind of alcoholic are you? <laughs> the cheap kind, I guess. I don't think many <laughs> alcoholics are drinking spritzes. Uh, I think they should be aware of them, <laughs> at the very least. <laughs> but Aperol is a French spirit. It is a bitter French spirit. Because yesterday was Alicia's birthday. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to drink Aperol spritzers, so I went out to the wine store and bought some Aperol. And now I've got some left over, so I made myself a spritzer today. It consists of Aperol, Prosecco, and a splash of soda water. So what does the spritz denote? Carbonation? Yeah. Is that all it is? I think so. Okay. Um, well, happy birthday. I mean, my birthday wasn't today. No, no, I'm just saying it. So what does Aperol taste like? It's bitter. Oh, uh, yeah, I've had this. I had it in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't know. I like. I didn't know what it was because it was my Airbnb host who bought it for me. Mm. And he said it was It was something spritz. I remember that. And it was that color. Well, there and you it go. says it's, it's most, Italy's most popular cocktail. So, yeah. It's a fair bet that that is what I consumed. Yeah, that sounds right. Also, he was a racist, so <laughs> that's the part that's, that's stuck in my memory more vividly. Like all Italians. He said to beware of gatherings of uh, black people. Mm. But he was like, I'm not, I'm not racist. <laughs> so he qualified it. I was like, oh, that's a relief. I mean, the, the, only, <laughs> the only Italian I, I uh, spoke to extensively was our ex-housemate. I don't even remember her name. Was she racist? Not really, but one time she did say something about immigrants. <laughs> <laughs> so, a little bit. So, um, how's how's your job treating you? Still, still employed? Still working 20 hours a week? Still technically employed less than 20 hours a week. Uh, so I have a, I have a day off every week. Mm-hmm. And then when I do work... It's between it's between uh, one a.m. and and five a.m. It's a four hour shift. Four hour shift, sometimes with a break, a mandated break that mm. might be as long as forty five minutes. So it ends up being like a three hour shift because it's an unpaid break. That's that's weird. It depends because there's a certain time uh, at which bread is delivered before we can complete all the orders. Uh, baguettes specifically right for that reason so if we finish everything else and then there's a long wait until the baguettes get delivered our supervisor goes everyone log off and then log back on when the baguettes get delivered which sucks doesn't that incentivize you just to take as long as you can yes yeah that's no good well have you been um struggling to make ends meet or do you have enough money still well i haven't got to the point of paying the next rent yet because I paid a lot of it in advance. That's good. So that comes up halfway through this month, which is pretty soon, actually, I guess. Yeah. It's like next <laughs> what week. What the hell's the date today? Yeah. The 7th. Mm, tomorrow's the first I can claim my unemployment benefits. Oh, speaking of which, if my phone rings 
You get it to take uh, it. I have to take it because it will be my unemployment benefit thing. Because mm. I got a message saying they'll contact me shortly, whatever that means. Give me anything. I thought it was a scam because they've changed their name. <laughs> That's funny. So I was like, it, it sounds so generic that I was like, this is a scam, right? This can't be them. But I was like, how did they know <laughs> I made a claim? I, I used to get a cause from this, not service, this, um, this like scam that was like, your social security number is going to be cancelled. Yeah, yeah, that's the usual scam. Yeah. Because you get that with, like, um, uh, your PayPal account is going to be suspended or whatever. Oh, I haven't you know, got that one. Stuff. I get that email all the time. That's weird. Maybe your PayPal account's going to be suspended. <laughs> How much money would you get from uh, from unemployment or from assistance? Uh, so it's with the coronavirus bonus, it's mm. $1,100 a fortnight. That's pretty good. It's okay, but I'm not sure what I'll qualify for. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm not actually sure, because apparently you're supposed to get an extra $600, I think, a week with the corona. Extra 600 a week? <laughs> I could be wrong about that. I'm going to look it up right now. Because we only get an extra $560 a fortnight. Yeah, $600 weekly. Coronavirus, $600 weekly. Unemployment. At least that's the number that's been going around the news. I have no idea how much. Oh wait, is that in is that in totality? Like your whole claim is the six hundred dollars no, a week, or in so. combination with existing welfare? I think it's a, an existing welfare. Because if it's a, if it's an existing welfare plus that six hundred dollars a week, that's pretty generous. <laughs> that's more money than I was making at my job. So no, that can't be that can't be right. I, I honestly don't know. That's why I'm, I'm excited to see what happens tomorrow. So we've got another uh, payment that I don't qualify for but i wish i did which is called a job keeper payment which is uh, designed to allow you to maintain a relationship with your employer because it comes via your employer albeit paid by the government mm. and that is fifteen hundred dollars a fortnight mm. which is better than eleven hundred dollars so. that's true but you can't get that no to qualify for it as a casual worker if you wait out wait off I, no, I would have had to have been employed for more than 12 months. That's too bad. Well, maybe... I honestly don't know how much I'm going to get. But honestly, I'll take anything. Because I don't have any expenses right now, so it'd be nice to have some income coming in. So I can waste it on expensive Blu-ray edition uh, stuff. I just should have bloody pawned my diamond while I had the chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you really uh, fucked up on that one. Now all the auction rooms are closed. It's that's just too bad. Your your blood money. That guy died in vain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he still could be alive. You don't know. Yeah. Well, anyway. Speaking of suicide, uh, this is Project A Plus by Davis Hunter. Yes, it is. And what's your name? Uh, Hugh. And this is the second of our quarantine special editions where we only tackle one instead of the usual two films. Yeah. And this week, uh, I was chosen. I, no, I guess I'm not chosen. 
based on the uh, system that we've developed in order to pick whom is choosing the films. It was my turn. And I decided to uh, choose a film that we've been meaning to do for some time, I think. Actually, I think your initial phrasing was on the money because in, in this case, I really think the film chose you. Mm, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and, you know, uh, I think the films of Kevin Smith have been a uh, recurring uh, bit on the show. You know, we've talked about a couple of them, both in our main feed and in our bonus features. We haven't really talked about this, touched on the subject recently. So is that going to change this episode, or is this going to be another Kevin Smith free zone? And now we're going to talk our butts off about a specific Kevin Smith film, his most recent film. Ooh. Which is called Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. Which is called Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. Which is called <laughs> Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. Sorry, you're just triggering me now. <laughs> <laughs> what would trigger you? <laughs> I'm getting PTSD. Uh, no spoilers, bud. But good PTSD, maybe. <laughs> good PTSD or bad PTSD? Find out. Pleasure PTSD. <laughs> Which is called Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. Wow. <laughs> uh, a direct sequel to uh, the 2000 and... One. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, that sounds right. I think that is right. Two thousand one. Yeah. Film. I guess it's it's a little generous to call it that, but it is a film. Jay and Silent Bob, Strike Back. Wait, wait, wait. You called reboot a sequel. It's not really a sequel, is it? No, it is a sequel. It's more of a reboot. No, it's more of a sequel. It's a sort of sequel slash reboot. No, it's kind of just a sequel. It's a sequel kind of reboot. We're going we're to talk about this later, but uh, I, I I disagree with Mr. Kevin Smith's uh, particular um, identifier or definition of what a reboot is. Maybe I don't uh, disagree with the definition per se, but the examples had me confused to you. Uh, I think I have a better term for it that is uh, befitting of the film's milieu. Uh-huh. It's a rehash. Hmm. Uh, it's a sequel, <laughs> <laughs> and it is the first film, uh, film, the first film in Smith's beloved View Askew universe since the 2006 film Quirks 2. And also the first film in uh, Kevin Smith's View Askew universe not to be tainted by association with the Weinsteins. And the first film in Kevin Smith's viewing universe where he lost some weight. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he got that. No, it, it is relevant to the plot, so. And relevant to the backstory yeah. behind the film as well. <laughs> yes. And to references in the film itself. Mm-hmm. So, um, because I was the one who uh, so delicately chose this film. You have to summarize it. <laughs> There's no preamble about how we are, 
How are we okay, coping? Okay. How how are do how are we doing this age of coronavirus, yo? Yeah, alright. How are you? No no, you have to you have to give me some more than that. Give me some juice. Pretend to be in the listener or your therapist and work from there. Uh, one thing that, that's annoying me, uh, it's not strictly related to coronavirus, although it is in the sense that I'm in my house a lot. Mm-hmm. But you were already in your house a lot. My uh, smoke alarm is positioned way too close to my kitchen. Mm. So that ev- basically every time I make a toast, even though the toast isn't burnt, it will set off the smoke alarm. That's annoying. So I have to stand on a chair and deactivate it temporarily. Yeah, that that does sound pretty frustrating. Fortunately, it seems to have been okay with stuff that I've cooked on the stovetop. Mm. Why don't you speak toes on the stovetop then? But when you're cooking bread, you're actually generating smoke. So I guess that's what it's detecting. Or alternatively, move your toaster to a different part of the house. I mean... There's really nowhere else for it to go, and it's right next to the window, as far away from the smoke detector as it can be while still being in the kitchen. Well, move it somewhere other than the kitchen. Why does it matter? I, I could do that, I guess. But... Don't don't kowtow to bourgeois standards of morality. No, I'm kowtowing to appropriate placement of device that sheds crumbs on the countertop. Then put put it on a on a thing that can catch the crumbs. A crumb catcher, if you will. Yeah, a crumb catcher. I don't want to do that. I don't want to cook toast in a separate part of the house. <laughs> it's your toast spot. In the bathroom. Mm, yeah, there you go. Perfect. You could you could eat it right after you come out of the shower. I could sit on the toilet and make toast. Yeah. What better idea is there than that? I can't think of any. And if I run low on toilet paper, which is a distinct possibility in this climate, mm. fresh non-toasted bread would be adequate. <laughs> would it? More so than toasted bread. That's true. Every man's fantasy is to take a shit while eating a piece of toast that was made <laughs> while we were taking a shit, I think. That's right. <laughs> we polled 300 men, and they all told us the same fantasy. What about you? How are you coping? I'm doing okay. Sweet. Just chilling. Drinking Aperol spritzers. Started a D and D group with some of my friends from uh, Virginia. You're playing remotely. Mm-hmm. Wow. Do you do it over Discord? Yep. It's uh, good stuff. I mean, we haven't actually played yet. We've just like set up. We're gonna start playing tomorrow, actually. Wow. Yeah. What sort of D and D do you play? I don't. I don't really understand D and D, to be honest. Yeah, we play D and D. I don't know what to tell you besides that. But, like, uh, is this correct or am I wrong about this? Like, you can play D&D where you're more focused on the story and character creation and stuff like that, or other times it's more mechanical, or does it depend on the dungeon master? It depends on the dungeon master. Okay. For the most part. So. But are there all these, like, weird expansions and stuff? Like, where do you start? What would you play? I don't get it. I mean, there's not really that many weird expansions. They just release, like, source books for different worlds you could potentially play. You start with, like, the basic, like, player handbook, Dungeon Master's Guide. That's it, pretty much. You don't need anything else besides that. How far can you go in terms of, like, constructing scenarios as a Dungeon Master? Like, are you I mean, quite forever. constrained by these rule books? Or, like, no, what, they're very, what are, what are I mean, the goalposts? It depends. They, if you want to just create an adventure on your own, you can just do that. There's no, there's no goalposts. 
how is it still Dungeons and Dragons if you just make up anything? Because you because you're using the you're using the specific rules of the game, like the way attacks work, the way right. leveling works, all that stuff. But you can create your own world and stuff if you want to play that way. Right. So the basic gameplay elements are what are coded as Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, and also they have a specific setting that they they offer as their the setting. official setting or something. Yes, but then they also release a bunch of different ones. And if you're using their setting, how does that work? Then that's detailed in the books. So you, it's just they've released like like lore books that are about it and stuff like that. So. And in your case, what will you guys be doing? We're going to be playing a specific adventure that was recently released because they also release like if you don't want to have to go through because obviously making a whole adventure is a lot of work, but. They release like adventure books, which basically lay out a narrative and objectives for characters to take that the person who's dungeon the dungeon master can read and like basically enact. You know, are you not the dungeon master? You no, know, I'm a player character or a PC. But we're playing we're playing the specific module that was a specific adventure called Baldur's Gate: Descent into Avernus. What the fuck? How is Baldur's Gate? Involved in Dungeons and Dragons, I don't understand. You don't, you don't know. You don't know how Boulder, You don't know that Baldur's Gate was a Dungeons and Dragons game. No. Yeah, it's a video game. So okay, the default uh, setting in Dungeons and Dragons is called the Forgotten Realms, right? Okay. And Baldur's Gate is a city in the Forgotten Realms on the Sword Coast. Okay. Okay. And in the that era of PC gaming, that was the like primary place where the video games were set right so that's why Baldur's Gate was made but like games like Icewind Dale are also set in the Forgotten Realms in the same world as Baldur's Gate there's other games too so this is your meat and potatoes Dungeons and Dragons uh, type sort stuff. of yeah um, but the reason we're playing this is because they're making a third Baldur's Gate game that's coming out this year which you've already stated on the podcast you're interested in procuring yes and the, After and, you play the original game, right? Yes, the original two games. The original two games, yeah. yeah. And this adventure that was released is a... It will directly lead into that third game. Hmm. So I was interested to play it for that reason. And because it got like pretty good reviews and stuff. And that you're a massive nerd. <laughs> so are you. <laughs> I am <laughs> okay. I I am a nerd. I I am a nerd. You are a loser. <laughs> Is that better? Yeah, I'll take loser. <laughs> okay, I, I'm the nerd. You're the Ed cell <laughs> or vol cell. You're the vol cell. I'm the vol cell. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm the nerd. Done. We're all vol cells in this climate, I guess, except for you and other people who live with their partners. Yep. Let's try though. No, no, it's not a vol cell if you're not allowed to leave your house is it oh i guess that's true yeah yeah there's more incels <laughs> making a country of incels and what, i guess that? that's a different type of incels that's like a less toxic version of an incel well because you're just observing quarantine regulations social distancing what is the name yeah. for it in in australia social distancing okay like what's the does your does your uh do you have like a the name of the order that has led to Order it. 66. 
<laughs> I watched part of both. I watched part of Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. This wow. Week. Why only part? Because they were on TV. I didn't really want to watch them. I mean, obviously I wanted to watch them, but I don't want to watch them on TV. On Alicia's mom's, like, you know, um, motion border skin, or motion, or <laughs> motion smoothie TV. That I spent like 20 minutes trying to figure out how to turn motion smoothie off and I couldn't do it. And I, I don't want to watch it if it's on TV. Like, that's just not pleasant. <laughs> hmm. the, these movies were meant to be experienced all. It's not broken up by commercials. Yeah. So. But I watched part of both of them. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Alright, so uh, shall we move on? Or you want to talk about some shit for, for longer? Dungeons and Dragons lore? Well, it's pretty, you know, self-exploratory. I feel like you can get into Dungeons and Dragons. Maybe not. Actually, no, I don't think you can. Never mind. Just, no. I'll take that back. <laughs> okay, so what movie do we do today, Hugh? <laughs> Jane Silent Bob reboot. Jane Silent Bob reboot. And what is that? What is it? Mm. Yep. Well, you know the 2001 movie Jane Silent Bob Strikes Back, featuring the characters Jane Silent Bob, who also featured in previous uh, viewers universe films of Kevin Smith, such as Dogma, Clerks, Mole Rats, Chasing Amy. Uh, Clerks 2. Well, Clerks the Animated Series. Clerks the Animated Series. Actually, I'm going to take that again and pronounce it the correct way. Clerks. Clerks 2. Clerks the Animated Series. You okay? That's the correct pronunciation of the word. That's not true. So, um, what is, what is the film Jay and Silent Bob reboot about? It's about these two cats called Jay and uh, Silent Bob. Mm. To, uh, as the film calls them over and over again, hetero life mates. That's right. No homo. Yeah. Uh, and they're old. Older than they were in the previous films. Mm-hmm. Just because of the passage of time that has elapsed uh, since the previous films were produced. Yeah, but but that doesn't necessarily mean that um, in the the world of the film they have been older, but they are explicitly older in the world of the film as well. Because there's like films like Star Wars, The Last Jedi, which years passed in between the production of that and, say, The Force Awakens, but the characters didn't age years. Whereas here... They have aged. They have aged. And how have they aged? Uh, do you mean to answer that, or is that a... Is it like a oh, how they've aged. I want you to answer it as well. Oh. Well, uh, they Although I was aged, being somewhat rhetorical. They aged as all people age. Lines on their faces. That's about it. Have they matured? Nope. Same old Jane Silent Bob. Are they still selling weed? Outside the, uh, what's it called? The Quick Stop? Is that is that the right name? Quick Stop, yeah. That's it. Uh, yep, they're still selling weed outside the... So, the opening of the film, what happens in that? Uh, they get busted by the police. For doing what? Selling weed. How? Uh, using the facade of a chicken shop. What's the name of the chicken shop? I forgot. Something uh, funny. Man, I, I forgot too. It's like cock something. Yeah. Cock smoker. That's it. There you go. I knew it was something funny. <laughs> that's why you laugh so much, right? That's right. 
so they go to court. Mm. They get uh, represented uh, by Justin Long. By the Apple guy, am I right? Eh? He's an Apple. Yeah. He's a Mac. Mr. Mac himself. Uh, yeah, so they're represented by Justin Long as a hilarious gay man. <laughs> uh-huh, who jokes about how he goes on Grinder, who flirts with Jay and Silent Bob, of course. But they're cool with it. Because they're woke. And uh, he tricks them into signing away the rights to their identities, effectively. Mm. Because he's a Hollywood producer, not just a benevolent lawyer. He's a Hollywood something. Yeah, Hollywood something. I don't know what he is. His character never comes back, so. Uh, he only had a day with Justin Long. <laughs> it seems like he, that was a common... Um, That's the way the movie thing. has been designed. Yeah. Now, Hugh, uh, was everyone, every character besides Jay and Silent Bob in this scene some sort of celebrity making a cameo appearance? Yeah, the judge was somebody, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, Craig Robinson. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the uh, prosecutor was played by Smilf's Frankie Shaw. Last scene fielding allegations of uh, sexual impropriety on set or something? Yeah, there's like a sex scene that didn't got filmed bad or something like that, I don't know. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, please continue. Uh, yeah, so so they've given over their identities to this Hollywood dude, played by Justin Long, of Mac fame. Of Mac and me? Uh, yeah, so me of the title is John Hodgman, Mac is Justin Long. <laughs> That's what those commercials are about. Uh, and it turns out that these Hollywood folk are intending to produce a reboot of the Blunt Man and Chronic film that they made previously that was circa 2001, I guess, for the last Jay and Silent Bob film. Which was apparently the plot of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, uh, the plot of which I did not remember at all. <laughs> so, Yeah, so in the Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back uh, prequel to this film, uh, a movie is getting made about the Blunt Man and Chronic characters, which are based on Jay and Silent Bob. And Jay and Silent Bob don't like the idea of that happening, so they go to Hollywood to try and stop it. Yes. It, but, uh, but aren't they motivated by, like, message board comments or something like that? Like, I don't know. Fast forward to now, they lose rights to their identity to Justin Long in this court case, as we've clearly established by this point. Turns out they're making a reboot of the earlier Blunt Man and Chronic film mm. that Jay and Silent Bob didn't want made. And guess what? They don't want the reboot made either. What, what, what timely title is this reboot given? A, a parody of it? I don't know. The, Jay, the Blunt Man it's and Chronic Blunt reboot? Man, it's Blunt Man v Chronic. That's right. That's right. I forgot. Uh, it's like you barely even watched the movie. Yeah, so they're making Blunt Man v Chronic. Mm. It's a gritty reboot uh, for the woke age so the character that was based on jay who is a man mm. has been gender flipped and is now played by a woman so in the first scene we forgot to mention that jay puts his dick between his legs jay is symbolic symbolically castrated and it is symbolically castrated again now the movie will be all about jay finding his manhood in the form of finding out that he's a parent We'll get to that in a little bit. So, they try to fly, but they can't. Then they get an Uber. 
Oh, yeah, they get an Uber with someone famous again. Fred Arbison. And also the woman at the desk at the... Um, uh, Molly Shannon. Is, is uh, Horse Girls Molly Shannon. Horse Girls Molly Shannon. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, so, they, yeah, so they're trying to get to Hollywood. They wind up uh, going to the house of a former fling of Jay's, who was featured in the previous Jay and Silent Bob movie, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back from 2001. Played by uh, Shannon Elizabeth, who is Thank you. in American Pie, right? Is that what she's known for? Is that, is that a different Shannon? It could be, right? I don't know. Yeah, American Pie. Okay, there you go. Which, who else is this movie co-star? Jason Biggs. Yeah. <laughs> the pie fucker himself. Who also featured in uh, Jane's Love of Strike Back from 2001, as established. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, anyway, so uh, he's, at, he's at this woman's house. Um, she tells him, hey, I had your baby. And your baby is Kevin Smith's actual daughter. Mm. His name is what? Harley Quinn. Named after Harley Quinn. And what's their name in the movie? I don't know. Are you kidding me? What's her name in the movie? Millennium Falcon. Come on, you. Oh, for fuck's sake. That's right. Yep. Was it Millennial Falcon? No, nope, Millennium Falcon. Did they make that joke in the film, or did I imagine that joke? <laughs> I think you imagined it. Huh? They did call her Millie, so maybe that's what you're thinking of. Right. Yes, so, so, wow, Jay's got a daughter he didn't know about. Mm. But whatever, we've got to go to Hollywood. So off they go. Off they go, uh, but wait, what happens? Wait, what? Uh, Millennium Falcon and her friend, who is deaf. Whose name is, I don't remember, Soapy? Soapy, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. Let's go with that. Miss Falcon and Soapy coerce Jay and Silent Bob into bringing them along to Hollywood because one of their friends... Well, they, they, uh, this is not going to reveal it yet, Hugh. You're, you're, you're skipping way ahead again, as you all always have done. <laughs> I'm condensing the film, right? Okay, please continue. So it transpires that the reason why Soapy and uh, Miss Falcon want to go to Hollywood as well is that one of their other friends, uh, a Chinese student who is recording podcasts constantly. Like us. Really wants to go to the Blunt Man and Chronic convention. Mm, called Chronic Con. So off all these girls and James and Bob go to Hollywood to stop this movie and attend this convention. Mm-hmm. So they set off. They encounter pedophiles and the KKK and some other people, and then they arrive in Hollywood and some stuff happens. And what happens then? And, uh, uh, um, the mother of Millennium Falcon does not want Jay to tell her that he's her father. Mm. So, tension there. Yep. <laughs> Is that enough? Do people get enough of a flavor of this film? No, keep going. Oh, they get to Hollywood. Oh, ben Affleck's there as the guy from Chasing Amy. Your favorite film. He talks about having a kid and shit. 
and then Jay eventually ends up telling... Oh, and then the, the, the girl who was recording a podcast turns out to be a bad girl. Mm. Who's Russian or something? Yep, she's Russian. The fact that, that she's Russian totally absolves them of making a RL joke earlier in the film. What was that joke? Where um, they're <laughs> how do you not remember this this classic bit where they're explaining where Millie is explaining the fact that her Chinese friend wants to go to Chronic uh, Con and the Chinese friend looks very sad and says, <laughs> and "I'm quoting here. I'm not being racist. The movie is being racist." <laughs> she says, "Front man." <laughs> Really? Yeah. How do you remember this? So there's no L in Japan, and that, and they substitute something that's closer to an R sound. Right, so the, then, then her saying Broadman doesn't make any sense at all. No, that would be a Japanese pronunciation. So, so I don't know what you heard. Well, I heard the that, what I just said. Because the racist, the racist Chinese joke is flied lice, remember? Hmm. Whereas that's 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 exhibiting the fact that they can't pronounce their R's, which I never actually witnessed in Chinese people, to be honest. Mm. It's which... it's notable in the Japanese accent, mm. although the Japanese R is is sort of related to L in a way that our R is not. The Japanese R is quite a different sound from our R. Yeah, it's almost a D. Yeah, it's like a it's like a mixture of a D, an R, and an L all at once in a bizarre way. I mean, not a bizarre way, but just a, a foreign way to uh, to us. Just a way that is different to our taste. But I yeah. know this because I've been studying a little bit of Japanese. Really? Yeah. Nice. Making the most of my captivity in this place. So, Hugh, does uh, um, Jay and Millie form a relationship, or do they... Uh... Like, form a relationship Woody Allen style? Or? Well, no, not Woody Allen style. Woody Allen isn't committing incest. Step incest. Yeah. And this is not a step daughter. This is no. a daughter. This, this is direct. Yeah, direct incest. So it's inspired by Woody Allen. Probably. But taking it a step further, as it were. Or a step fewer. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, what's going on in this movie? Well, Can we I finished we... sum- summarizing the plot yet? or what? What, what happens at the end? Does the movie go on? Why are we going all the way to the end? Uh, we don't want to ruin it for important. the viewers it's and the listeners. Okay, potential great. viewers, right, the right. listeners, okay, well, whatever, viewers. whatever. Uh, Hugh, I have a question for you. Yeah. Okay. Is this the worst movie you've ever seen? <laughs> <laughs> That's a loaded question. What do you mean? And that that tips your hand a little bit. Uh. Uh-huh. Because if you didn't have a negative opinion of this film, you wouldn't have phrased a question that way. <laughs> no, no, I'm really curious. I'm basing this off of your reactions that you've given to me previous. Recently, you watched The Bad and the Beautiful for this podcast. <laughs> okay, Hugh. And you didn't think to say, is The Bad and the Beautiful the worst film you've ever seen? From, from now on, I'm going to end every summary with asking you if the movie is the worst film you've ever seen. You better do it to redeem your poor performance on this I am, episode. I am. It's the only path of salvation. Uh, anyway, I did all the heavy lifting with the plot summary. Mm. So I believe it is incumbent on you to tell the listeners first what you think of this film before I disclose whether it is, in fact, the worst <laughs> film ever made. Okay, I can disclose. 
Um, well, you. Uh... Let me let me put it another way. <laughs> so, is Jay and Silent Bob reboot your favorite film of all time? Uh, yeah, I gotta say it's not. What? Yeah. Did you hear um, the question? Can I articulate my opinion now? Wait, just just to be clear, I just want to make sure you, you heard me. It's not your favorite film of all time. Yeah, it is not. But definitely not. Definitely not. Well, okay. I think you'll need to explain yourself. Yeah. Well, um, let's see. Did, could I wa- did I watch this film? W- was it watchable? Uh, two different questions. Did you watch this film? <laughs> okay, okay. Yes, I watched this film. Was it watchable? Or does that answer, was it watchable? It does Just answer. because the it fact you actually that. watched it. Yeah, exactly. You were able to watch it. I was, I was able to watch it. Ergo watchable. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Did I enjoy watching it? You? I'm going to say yes. Uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to say... Okay, uh, Okay. that's that's fair. That's fair. Uh, can I answer on my own behalf or do I just have to... You may. Okay. I'm going to say No. <laughs> I don't believe you. Wow. Well, um, I don't know what to say besides that. Uh, my opinion is my opinion. So. But I, I think there were parts of this film that were so profoundly unenjoyable to you <laughs> that that very fact made it enjoyable on, on some level, right? Mm. Um, no, okay. There is one part of the film that I enjoyed. I'll, I'll grant yeah. that. I'll grant that. But not, not for that reason. Okay, here. Yes, this film... Is it unfunny? Is Kevin Smith straighty? Is Kevin Smith straighty to be woke, uh, really annoying and not woke? Yes. Is the uh, insane amount of self-referentiality and weird references to Kevin Smith's personal life uh, annoying and unnecessary? Yeah. Did I need to see Kevin Smith play a dual role as himself and Silent Bob? No. Was this film basically incompetently filmed as incompetently as every other Kevin Smith film? Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I think he's become a worse filmmaker at, with the advent of digital because now his films, at least when he was making low-budget films, they had a certain low-budget look. And now they just look like flat digital movies. Uh, did I hate this movie? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Did I find uh, uh, Kevin Smith's straining for emotionality to be annoying and moronic and unintentionally hilarious? Yes. Uh, yet, yet, I will say, none of the performances of this movie are good. Okay. But... There is something extremely pathetic about seeing Jason Mewes and Kevin Smith play these characters, both looking like they're in their mid-50s. There's something very sad about that. And on some level, there is some melancholy in this film, you know. This film is basically incomprehensible, I think, to... Even, what are you even talking someone about? like me perfectly survived the plot of this film. <laughs> even someone like, like me who has watched Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, I did not get a lot of the callbacks and references to that movie. <laughs> and I will say, 
there's something extremely strange about Kevin Smith's daughter being in this movie, playing the role that she plays, uh, which features a lot of her, say, talking about her sexual fantasies about uh, Chris Hemsworth and talking about the fact that she owns dildos when her father is standing next to her. But I found <laughs> very strange and off-putting. Did, did, did I start dying the minute that Matt Damon, not, not out of laughter, I wasn't laughing, did I start, did my, did my cells in my body start dying as soon as the cutaway gag with Matt Damon start? Yeah. Yep. Do I think that this movie's definition of reboot is totally wrong and stupid? Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll tell you another part that I enjoyed in this. Was seeing Val Kilmer, who <laughs> 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 looked like he was about to die. <laughs> I have other things to say, but I'll wait for you to state the general outline of your opinion before I get to it. Okay. My turn. Yeah. What was the question I was answering? <laughs> Is this the worst movie you've ever seen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is this okay? <laughs> yes. Yeah. The James Bond Bob reboot. <laughs> yeah. Or James Bond, okay. or whatever. It's well, let, me, let me put it in a different way. Is this the worst movie that we've watched for the podcast? So during a, a pandemic <laughs> such as this, mm-hmm. when many of us can't see our friends and our families, mm. and we can't wander down the street with no set goal on a sunny morning, mm. when we are hunkered down with whatever supplies we've managed to scare up from a barren supermarket, we're all looking forward to the day when the lockdown is lifted, when when we can congregate again, when we can hug our loved ones. Obviously, you're an exception to some degree, mm. but I'm sure you want to hug your family again, perhaps. Nope. When we can return to activities that we have so long taken for granted. Mm. Personally, I, I think of walking along the river to my parents' house for breakfast mm. or dropping in on my brother and his partner who mm. will also live within walking distance from my property. Mm. Or watching a new band at a local bar, going to the cinema, sitting in cafes, drinking coffee, traveling again, going back to New York, potentially. Mm. Or Minneapolis, 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 Minneapolis. celebrating birthdays and, and holidays again, even just shopping for groceries without fear. I think of all these things and I know one thing for sure. I am going to get through this, and I'm going to see that day. I'm going to survive, and we are all going to survive. I mean, not all of us. No, no, I mean, <laughs> the, 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 the royal we are going to survive. I mean, uh, Some exceptions. Currently, currently they're predicting uh, 200,000 deaths uh, minimum in the United States. So. Yes, well, them aside. We're, we're going to sacrifice, is what you're saying. We're going to survive. We're going to get through this, right? Yeah, I mean... Watching uh, the Jay and Silent Bob reboot. No, no, watching Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Watching Jay and Silent Bob reboot made me want to die. (laughs) In fact, it made me want us all to die, starting with Kevin Smith, but ending with a lot of us. Mm. For we are each of us guilty by association for even sharing his species, for somehow allowing this to occur. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I think for an insignificant film such as this, that counts as an achievement, right? Mm. I think that's something. That's not nothing. 
This is not just a blip. This is this is significant. This is the end. Honestly, honestly, I want to be kind towards this film. It would be all too easy to add to the pylon, the pylon of which you were already part. Mm. And Lord knows the film invites such derision. But Smith foils me at every turn. Even, even when my praise is tempered and qualified, like, for example, if I wanted to call this film endearingly bad, as I was thinking of doing, <laughs> I'm forced to admit that were I given the choice between watching this film a second time and, as I've told you on offline, being a rock spider in prison, I, I would genuinely pause. I don't really understand what a, a rock spider in prison is exactly, but... Good, good. I was wondering if you were hip to that terminology. <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell that's a compliment or an insult. If I, if I find myself uh, tempted to praise, like, say, the thread of self-deprecation that runs through this film, like the frequent call-outs to Smith's deficiencies as a director, because, you know, at least he's being honest about his talent, that impulse is entirely overwhelmingly negated by the fact that this film could only have been made by someone who is deeply, incurably into themselves. Mm. Yeah. This is surely a contender for the crown of most indulgent film ever created, right? Yes. So, so we, we can't go down that route, but maybe we could try another tact. Yes, it's indulgent, but maybe this film deserves some recognition for its fan service. Now, when people say fan service, it's usually considered a negative, mm. at least in the context of film criticism. But you could theoretically make a case for a film like this that is 100% about satisfying long-term fans, mm -hmm. something that aims to reward that fandom to pay back the loyalty they have shown Smith over the years. Mm. A film that is not for people like us, like you and me, not for mm. critics, not for, even for casual fans, but for hardcore viewers universe lifers, right? So you could say this film is, is not to my taste, but at least he's giving his fans what, what they want. He's being generous to his fans. On that, on, that, on that level, you have to say it's a success, right? That's, that's one potential positive. But the thing is, I don't think it's even a success on that level because it's so astonishingly lazy so incompetent even on the modest terms of his own filmography mm. that he's not actually honouring his fans. No. He's giving them these signifiers that validate their fandom. Um, like he dots the film liberally with these in-jokes and winking references every second line, mm. or every line, in fact. But he's not providing them with pretty much any of the qualities that would have earned their fandom in the first place. Mm. Which are, so it lacks, it lacks, I'll try, I'll try, I'll try to, to name some qualities that uh, he, his previous films have exhibited. It lacks like the freshness and scrappy charm of, of Clerks. Mm. Obviously that's hard to repeat. That was the nature of the film, but nonetheless, it lacks that. It is none of the easy hangout atmosphere of Morats or what I remember of watching Morats when I was a teenager. I don't know if it holds up, but I'm, I'm, confident in saying it's better than this film <laughs> and in in contrast to a film like chasing amy which i know you don't love or like or think is good its dramatic arc is insultingly one-dimensional 
Now, these, these hardcore fans might still be satisfied with the results, don't get me wrong, especially with Bourne Raconteur Smith bookending proceedings, if you happen to attend uh, one of his roadshow screenings. And if, if I was the type of person to unironically purchase a ticket to a Kevin Smith roadshow, <laughs> I would probably leave the theatre happy. I think, I think even just via his own pleasure in the film he has made, his emotional attachment to it, I've seen him speak about this film at length. You listened to the audio, Robert Jerry. I forgot to watch it all, but I did uh, start it. <laughs> I should have done that for this podcast. I completely forgot. You should have. Um, but because uh, I started watching it before I had seen the film, and then I was going to come back to it, and I forgot. But, you know, his emotional attachment to this film, especially in the wake of a near-fatal heart attack, right, maybe maybe that would steamroll over any doubts I may have had about the film's quality, even as a diehard fan, right? But you are not. You're speaking no. But, you know, if you fit into that category, if you can if you can find some enjoyment in this film, good for you. And please don't have children. <laughs> Well, I didn't know you'd become a eugenicist. But I think I think what is insane and uh, I think most unforgivable about this film, particularly for those people who have followed Smith's career since the beginning, is his apparent refusal to hone his craft in any demonstrable way. Mm. And it's almost like it's not just that he's neglected his craft and it's gone, you know, stagnant. It's actually degraded. Yeah, as I said. Yes. It's not as if, like, this sort of aggressively anti-cinematic style has, has become an aesthetic in its own right. I mean, it sort of has, but not in the way that you could argue for something like Clerks, where that's sort of part of the appeal, part of the package. Here yeah. it simply feels lazy, sloppy, sub-televisual, and even outright incompetent. Not even his experience as a director for hire seemed to have made any difference. No. Because um, he did direct uh, a number of TV shows, in fact. Uh, yeah, including Supergirl. The actress from which features in this. Melissa Benost. As the J. Bluntman Chronic. No, as Chronic. Whatever. As chronic. chronic. Oh, my God. And, and you said this as well, but visually this could be his flattest film. To date, or rather, uh, the mean, flattest film to date. <laughs> this is this is me speaking, having not seen any of his films post uh, Jane Silent Bob. But I, I don't, I'm not sure if Clerks Two was shot digitally. It's it certainly had that feel. That was flat as fuck as well. This might be even flatter though. But I don't I don't think the problem is not is that it's quote unquote uncinematic, right? Mm. It's that his technical limitations as a director undermine whatever strength he has as a writer and maybe strength is putting Which it a bit too strongly he does not <laughs> have what i mean is he undersells his own material material is bad don't get me wrong but he does it no favors mm. i think he edited this himself didn't he um i, uh, I don't know let me just double check i'm pretty sure i saw that in the credits yes edited by kevin smith so his stodgy editing saps the film of any possible comic momentum that the material might otherwise have generated, which it probably wouldn't have anyway. But anyway, the uh, awkward staging generates awkward performances. 
and the overall flatness of touch that he brings just drags everything down. Mm. It's difficult, in fact, impossible to imagine any of this material working under any circumstance. Mm. Yes. But least of all in his own directorial hands. Mm. So, yeah, I liked it. Okay, no, you didn't answer my question, though. Either of my questions. So is it the worst film? No, you don't have the podcast. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I don't think it is, no. It's a definite contender. What do you think is the worst film that we've done on the podcast? But the films that make me angrier mm. are, for example, Special Correspondence. Mm. Genuinely, that makes me angrier than this does. <laughs> Simil, similar level of uh, flat and unfunny. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> kind of a similar vibe from that one. But I, I think this film, at least, like, at least I was considering calling this film endearingly bad. Mm. I could not apply that label to Special Correspondence. I like Even in theory. I like Special Correspondence more than I like this movie. I didn't. So I think I hated Special Correspondence more. I think I hated something like This is 40 more. This is 40 is worse. This is 40 is the worst film that's ever been made. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually think, um, even though I've I've gone on about how I think this is like one of the, if not the most self-indulgent films ever made, I think Judd Apatow's indulgences in his projects are more infuriating. Mm. Yeah, I agree. At least this is like 90 minutes long or something, right? Yeah, versus <laughs> two and a half thing. hours or whatever. <laughs> How long was this this morning? I think it was two hours and 20 minutes, maybe. Nope. Two hours and 13 minutes. Okay. Still long. Yeah. Longer. It should just have been 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, man, I sure hope that Corona doesn't push back Dead uh, Up new film. <laughs> that sounds amazing. What is uh, Pete Davidson? Biopic? Our two favorite things going together at last. I mean, I don't have any opinions about Pete Davidson, really, so I don't really know what to say. My opinion is I don't get why he <laughs> exists. I don't, I, I don't understand why people talk yeah. about him ever. But I don't watch SNL, so... From what I've seen of his work, don't get it. No. He has a lot of tattoos. Yep. Yeah, and he's from Staten Island, apparently. He's the king of Staten Island. No, 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 not yet. He will be this summer, if that film gets released. Um, anyway, you had some other points you wanted to make about this film? The part the, the part that I was, like, about to tear my hair out was, you know, every film that's Silent Bob is in, he has to have one long monologue now, right? Mm-hmm. And his long monologue in this one was a, a Glengarry Glen Ross parody? Yep. To a bunch of Ku Klux Klan members. I really thought I was like high when I was watching that scene. There's something like very free associative about it. You know what I mean? That whole Ku Klux Klan section felt extremely misguided. Yeah. Not just on the basic level that the entire film is misguided, but somewhat morally misguided as well. Uh, please, please continue. The way they're integrated into the film as just, like, generic antagonists whose comeuppance comes in the form of shit being sprayed on them, and that's it. Yeah. Didn't 
didn't quite feel like, you know... <laughs> you wrestled with the complex historical and regional politics of... Yeah. Yeah, it feels a little... Um, uh, I don't know. There's something like, you know, on one hand, he's, like, trying to be woke, right? But on the other hand, he's, like, absolving himself of having to be woke by being, like, I'm not a... I don't like white nationalists in the KKK. Also, I'm going to name my... Syrian character Jihad. That's a joke in this movie. Uh, another another scene that I thought about uh, killing myself during was the bit where she was like, and then my brother tried to strangle me in my sleep. And I was like, what? why did you do this, Kevin? Why, why, why did you write this scene? I don't understand. Uh and the parts I mean some of the parts of this film tries to be emotional or like ridiculously funny mm. like there, there's sort of like a well I can't believe this movie is this lazy and this stupid and this like shittily self-referential like the most like cheap and like unfunny way and like the movie knows this and yet it still expects you to like gobble up its shit it's like kind of this taking a shit in your mouth and is like you know you're eating shit, right? And it's like, yeah, I guess. And that's, that's it. I, I do kind of enjoy the fact that some of the self-referential fourth wall breaking stuff is so, like, witless that it feels like a parody of a self-referential film. Yeah, it does. I thought I thought there was a weird thing, too, where it's like, He's supposed to be like, oh, you know, these girls met on a... These girls are a bunch of diverse young women. I sh- I'm going to get points for that. But the whole movie is like, oh, you know, I grew up having two moms. Uh, all I want is to meet my dad. What's wrong with just having two moms? Yeah. If you have two loving parents, it's a little weird to be like, man, there's this big hole in my life. I never met my dad and I didn't get the dad advice. But I hated this movie. I, I would be fine if Kevin Smith never made another movie. I want him to keep making movies. I'm happy for him to keep making movies. No. It's, it's kind of funny. He's just sad. That he has a career. <laughs> you should just make podcasts and just stop making movies. That's what I think. Okay, let's uh, move on. That was that was a horrible waste of our lives. Let's go to bonus features, shall we? Yep. Bonus features, bonus Uh, so I only watched two films, the first of which was a repeat viewing of the 2013 documentary Revenge of the Mekons. Mm. I have talked about it on the podcast previously. I only watched it because I've been listening to a lot of Mekons. Mm. They've been uh, perfectly matching my mood and this pandemic. So I just wanted to watch the documentary again, even though it's not an especially illuminating documentary. Makes kind of makes me like them less okay. than I do just from the records, but nonetheless, I watched it again. There you go. And it also features Jay and Silent Bob reboots Fred Armisen mm. because he was at one time married to one of the members of the Mekons, mm. Sally Timms, and she, in fact, encouraged him to pursue comedy. Well, so um, there you go. You can blame the Mekons. I don't. I don't dislike Fred Armisen. No, nor do I. He's been funny and stuff. Like Jane Silent Bob reboot. 
Yeah, I, I'm sure I would like documentary now if I ever bothered to watch it. So, do you want to hear the films that I one of the films that I watched? Yes, please. I'm gonna I'm gonna get two out of the way. No, I watched two Godzilla movies this week. <sighs> but then I only have one left, so you shut your mouth. Um, neither of which I enjoyed especially much. Which I watched Godzilla vs. Megalon, which is notable for A. Godzilla only being in for about 10 minutes. And B. Having the exact same alien invasion plot as 30 of the other Godzilla films. Not 30, <laughs> but at least 10. Uh, it has this robot named Jet Jaguar who Toho clearly wanted to make into a spinoff character who never got spun off into anything else, which I thought was amusing. Um, and there's some funny bits for like he shakes Godzilla's hand. That's pretty funny. Um, but ultimately, there's just not enough juice in this. There's some really excellent model work. There's a scene where a dam gets destroyed that I thought was really incredibly done. Really precise detailing of the damn model must have been a nightmare to shoot. That was good. But the villain in the film is just this giant beetle. I don't find him that interesting. And it's the same alien invasion plot, even if they're coming from under the sea. Then I watched Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla, which I also didn't especially enjoy that much. Because guess what, Hugh? It features yet another alien invasion plot. Um, this time with Ape aliens instead of humanoid i guess they are humanoid instead of like cockroach aliens um but it doesn't really change much um mechagodzilla is kind of fun i guess uh there's this really bizarre they kind of like brutal scene where like almost pulls a monster's like jaw off that i was like kind of shocked because it was so brutal uh this movie is kind of gory too which i was not expecting um, but ultimately i thought it was pretty boring there's definitely not unenjoyable so hmm. that's my godzilla corner and then there's just one left and i finish then i'll finish the show of movies and apparently the next one's supposed to be a really good one so we'll see the other movie i watched was sleuth mm, the original sleuth yes the 1972 joseph l mankiewicz film with michael kine with and... michael kine and Lawrence olivia yeah and the reboot had Jude Law and Michael and Michael Caine, yeah. switching roles. The remake, rather. Well, it's a reimagining. The remake was apparently done. So it was written by Harold Pinter, mm. and I think he wrote it without reading the original screenplay or play, or watching mm. the film. Mm. Just like absorbing the basic plot mechanics and then doing his own thing with it. Mm. Sounds terrible. But I'm kind of curious to see it. Um, anyway, so I watched the original Sleuth. And uh, it was based on a play and adapted by the playwright in Anthony Schaefer. Mm-hmm. And uh, what to say about Sleuth? Was it fun? I think, so for something adapted from the stage, Joseph L. Mankiewicz does a solid job trying to shake the film from its theatrical roots but the fact remains that this is a two-hander that feels about as long as a play nearly is as long as a play and uh, unfolds like the play it is so it doesn't actually really escape that in the end so it's like it's, it's a revisionist detective story that 
Um, I guess on, on one level is interesting because it refuses the sort of cosy pleasures that you normally associate with at least Agatha Christie style yarns. Mm. It's quite nasty. Mm. Um, there's a lot of black humour and it's very explicit about class and xenophobia mm. in the character that Laurence Olivia plays, who is a who is an author mm. of uh, Agatha Christie style yarns. Which Agatha Christie also expressed. Mm. Just subdued. Um, so there is that about it, which is interesting, but it's also somewhat tiresome. Mm. And as, as far as revisionist detective stories about class go, the, the film it inspired Knives Out, I think, is more successful mm. and more enjoyable. Mm. It's the type of film that you see once and respect on some level, but would never under any circumstances wish to see it again. Mm. Like, I'll never be in the mood to revisit this film. That's it. Okay, I just have two more films to yeah, get well, through. Yeah, well, I'm lazy, but... <clears throat> Is that your Michael Caine? Yeah. Uh, and then I'll go through them quickly. So I don't really have much to say about either of them. Not from lack of them being interesting, just me being ready to end this and then move on to our next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is I watched A Tale of Sorrow and Sadness, which is the first film that uh, Seiju Suzuki made after uh, getting fired from his Nikatsu contract. Uh, it's this very strange sort of erotic melodrama set in the world. His uh, what contract? His contract at... Nikatsu, the film production studio. Uh, uh, very funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> should I shake it to you, or do you just let me move on to the other film I watched? <laughs> you can just move on. No, no, I'm gonna finish. So, it's very strange, ironic, melodrama. Slash media satire set in the world of uh, professional golfing. And it's kind of like a, I guess it's like a My Fair Lady Pygmalion type where this advertising company decides that's that has is been contracted by a like golf magazine or like golf store or something like that i have to admit the plot i found a little hard to follow because the subtitles that i had which apparently the only subtitles for the film were very bad and only translated about two-thirds of the movie (laughs) so Mm. i was kind of lost um but there's some sort of golf company and they want to create a star out of this model and they hire this old man they hire this like ad executive who basically uses is like brutal and awful to her so it's kind of like a, a grotesque parody of that sort of story in a lot in a way um but basically forces her to become a professional golfer and then she succeeds and then about halfway through the movie it kind of turns into like a uh, celebrity stalker like play misty for you me type movie <laughs> which i was not expecting uh, and then it movie ends with basically all the characters dying so very strange movie that I enjoyed and wish I saw in a better quality transfer and also with subtitles that actually translated the film. So uh, I'll say it's intriguing and maybe wish I could see it in a better version because there's enough interesting sort of ideas there. And I, I enjoy seeing a sort of 
because you see so many movies that are like, oh, it's behind the scenes of Hollywood, right? But it's not so common in, in at least not in the films of other cultures that I've watched. And it was hmm. interesting to see sort of a film that tries to expose the, you know, CV underside of the fame industry in Japan. So uh, I enjoyed it. And obviously, uh, you know, Suzuki style is a little subdued here, probably because he was trying to prove that he could make a film that, you know, like made sense. <laughs> but it still manages to have some very striking and bizarre sequences. Like there's one scene where uh, a car crash is shown by having this extreme long shot where you see the like headlights of a car go down a hill. And then it cuts to this very close up that's in slow motion of a person getting like to, uh, the camera is like to the side of the car in like a very artificial like setup getting hit by the car. And then it cuts back to the hill and extreme far away. So uh, it's good stuff. I, I don't know. That's a tale of sorrow and sadness. Uh, and then I watched a film that is not related to anything, any of the films that I've talked about for the past month or so. Mm. <laughs> that it wasn't a Jackie Chan film, nor was it a Godzilla film, nor was it a Seiji Suzuki film. Uh, it was a film, a little film, which I had never seen before, called Night of the Living Dead. Oh, wow. Um, which I feel like is a film that no one needs to say anything about because it's been talked to death, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very spooky. Uh, and tense, and it kind of reminded me of a Cassavetes film in a way. Yeah, and it's all about people shouting at each other. Uh, and I was not expecting that particular quality, um, but I was surprised by how gory it was and how violent, which I was also not expecting. And I was reminded of the current plague that we're living through. Not so much in the fact of like the obvious parallels between the zombies and you know people who are infected with the d- disease, which is not how I feel. But rather, there is a lot of in that film where they're watching the TV for information or listening to the radio. Uh, hmm. And it's like, we don't know exactly what's happening, but stay indoors, which reminded me a hmm. lot of our current situation. So hmm. that's Night of the Living Dead, uh, a film that definitely earns its sort of classic status, I think. And, um, you know, despite everything Romero said after the fact, where he's like, oh, you know, we didn't intend to have a you know, political message about the main character being black. Uh, definitely comes across that way when you watch it. So <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Did he say that? Yeah. That's weird. Well, I don't know why. Cause like, I think he was like, Oh, he was, he simply gave the best performance that we got, but, um, obviously casting a black actor in that role and having that specific action happen to him at the end, you know, uh, has resonances because he's black. <laughs> And every other character in the movie is white, so it feels like it know. feels like completely explicit in the text. I think it feels to to, it feels like to me that he is trying to. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, horror fans can be a little uh, retrograde, and I wonder if he's just trying to push that away, you know, and which is strange because obviously Romero was a pretty political filmmaker, so I don't get it. Well, he might have been, yeah, potentially reacting to the notion of like reducing his whole presence mm. in the film yeah, to, to a metaphor yeah. about race or whatever. Yeah, which the film is obviously more complex than that too. It's just one of the strands that goes into it. Um, to but, sort of also emphasize the fact that, no, this is an actual good actor who was bringing yeah. something to the role and it's actually a character beyond yes, the his racial race. implications. And yeah. he definitely is. Yeah. So, And I, I was kind of disappointed to that the, the guy didn't really have much of a career after the fact. Uh, and the only other big movie that he was in was Ganja and Hess, which I also would like to watch. So maybe I'll watch that next. Have you seen that? No. 
I've always been interested in that. But I haven't seen it. So. Anyway, that's all I watched. Oh, bro.